in order to be a good writer, I need to have to wrestle with that every single line, every single chord. Am I doing this just to make money or am I doing this because it's the right thing to say? Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen, it's about... That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. Welcome back to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. And my name is Jay Kirkpatrick. And you're the what? I am the editor-in-chief, <laughs> the, the uh, sound engineer. <laughs> I just got trumped on my own podcast. <laughs> Today's episode is one that is particularly exciting to me because I have wanted to feature William Fitzsimmons, the singer-songwriter on this podcast, since I first started and or had this idea. I've interviewed William so many times. He's among the artists for sure that I've interviewed the most in my journalism career. And I knew from the beginning, since I had this idea for the Resistance podcast, that he would be the perfect interview subject because just like his songs, he is so vulnerable, so painfully honest about wherever he's at in the moment that comes out on his music all over his new um, all over his catalog and certainly it'll be the hallmark of his brand new album coming this fall called ready the astronaut but um i just love even in this conversation his level of honesty What'd you think, Jay? I mean, I've been a fan of William Fitzsimmons for a while as well. I really, I mean, I'm, I really like the, you know, whatever the genre you want to call it that he's in, but just his ability to capture and emote and evoke things within me is, yeah, it's, he's one of the artists that I go to when I, when I need that good cry, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, as I'm listening to him talk, I thought one of the great things, which I've been chewing on for the last few years, actually, is this idea of, um, you know, I'm prone to live in fantasy, you know, the the past or the future, the things that really don't exist. And he talked a lot about now and reality and just kind of the moment we ha- are so prone to try to not go through the resistance, face into it, try to pretend it's not there, get away from it, make it better, make it feel better, make it less uncomfortable. And he talked about just the idea of it being necessary. You know, he's not a relativist. He said, he says, it, reality, he believes that there is a reality and his ability to just look into it, face into it, deal with it, accept it has actually been more creatively rewarding and brought him, I guess, internal peace one of the things as he talked, there was a there was a quote I remember a guy named Brennan Manning, who's an author, uh, and it's a, you know it's more on a face based kind of slant, but it, it, I think it pertains. Hope knows that if great trials are avoided, great deeds remain undone, and the possibility of growth into greatness of soul is aborted. And I just think hmm. he spoke r- really beautifully and deeply into that in relation to his art and to creativity and actually just becoming more of the human that you were 
kind of meant to be facing into that resistance and reality as it is. So that, yeah. I, that, I loved that part of this this interview. Yeah, I, mean, I love that quote too. And I did enjoy that part of this conversation. For me, resistance, the more I encounter it, the older I get, the more I realize how necessary it is to just be the rock that the water washes over in a way yeah. like it yeah. erodes, it shapes and, and it's, it's just how we become who we're intended to become and whatever you believe about all that. So yeah, if you've never heard Williams music before his lead single off of this is called no promises ready. The astronaut is the brand new album but this probably won't be the last time I'll chase William for this podcast. If you've never heard him before, here's our conversation with William Fitzsimmons. William Fitzsimmons, how are you today? Hey, Matt. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I know we were talking earlier, but just to explain to others, um, William, we've chatted several times over the years. Yes. And when we launched this podcast, most of I've been in music journalism of some kind for for a good two decades and you are just one of those people that every time we talk it's always sort of diving into the deep end of the pool so to speak and so launching this podcast just made sense uh to talk to you so appreciate you taking time out well i appreciate it too man thanks man william i'd love to just dive in where we start every one of, of our episodes and that's by referring to our source material stephen pressfield's the war of art and Stephen writes this, and so I'd love for you to respond. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. At this stage in your career or life, just how does that strike you? What does resistance look like? Yeah, I've really, <clears throat> it's funny, I had not heard that quote until you sent it to me. And uh, obviously with my with my background and psychology i've spent a minute or two thinking about you know what the self means what the ego means what it means to have like an internal self you know there's like there's the theory of multiple selves um that we're sort of someone different internally and we're someone different when we're with different people in different roles and things like that it, the thing it reminded me of most and i'm doing a great job of not responding specifically to the question which i love <laughs> but <clears throat> but i'll get around to there uh gestalt psychology which was pioneered by a guy named Fritz Perls, really smart guy. Basically, he talked about health being the degree to which your internal and external self are lined up. So that's what when I when I, the first thing I thought of was Perls, and I thought of Gestalt psychology when I heard that quote. the The way to re reduce that resistance is to line up your behavior with your beliefs. Essentially, that's what he thought. You know that was that was the idea, the theory. Uh, I I love that theory. And to get back to the to the the war of art quote, I I don't think it's ever perfectly possible. I think that I actually think the resistance between those two things is kind of necessary. That that friction is what helps us be creative, and we do that by constantly remaining aware of that difference. You know, that that I'm not maybe always living to be the person that I want to be, or that maybe that's not even possible, if that makes sense. So I don't think lining up those two is actually a a goal in and of itself. I think it's good to try to kind of shoot for that in general. That's like the that's sort of the target area. But for me, 
as I've taken on new roles in my life, as I became a, a father, um, as I've been through a couple divorces, just, you know, life experiences, the target has kind of moved and, and I've had to place myself as a creative person in new contexts. You know, what does it mean to be a songwriter at 22 when you're single and you don't have kids and you're just starting out? And what does it mean when you're 42 and you have children, you have shared custody and you had, you have child support and you have <laughs> back pain and, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a different thing. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, if that's making sense, but it's, I, I actually, I think the resistance is actually kind of lovely and I, I welcome it now where I used to think the goal was to like fight it, you know, that I should <laughs> grab my sword and my shield, but I don't, I don't want to fight it anymore. I kind of want to welcome it because I think it sort of helps me. Uh, actually be a better writer as we're talking it occurs to me that you're referring to it in these vague ways like like it i want to welcome it i think for some people their it may be different from you so when you say you welcome it like like what form are you talking about or when are you thinking of something specific in that way when you're referring to it i would say so the it that i'm talking about is reality uh it's it's the external truth that exists regardless of what I think. And, and that, you know, this is going to get even, I'm getting more vague now, but, but I, I, (laughs) I, I tend, I'm not really a, I'm not a relativist. Like I I think that there is, uh, I think truth is actually a thing. I, 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 we don't always maybe know exactly what it is, but I think it's actually a thing. So uh, I welcome reality when it, when it comes like the, a good example of when I didn't welcome it was when, uh, my second wife told me that our marriage was over. <clears throat> that was, that was reality. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I've tried, I tried for about a year to alter that reality, to change it, to make it false, but it didn't work because I was, <laughs> I was pushing up against what was actually, you know, true in that sense. The resistance was, it was nice to have the friction because it helped get me to it, but it did two things. It helped, it helped me be more creative, but it also helped me to find peace because it was in, it was instructive. The, the, re, the reality pushed back against my efforts to push it away. You know, I wanted my wife to say, no, wait, I was wrong. I, our marriage is great. Everything's fine. Never mind. But that wasn't the case. Our marriage was actually sick, you know? So, what I've learned with a whole crap ton of therapy is, and a lot of reading, a lot of reading, uh, Anthony DeMello is one of my favorite authors. He's a Jesuit priest and a spiritualist and a writer. And he talks a lot about reality acceptance kind of being the key to happiness. That happiness is sort of already, it, this gets a little bit um, goopy, maybe, no offense, Gwyneth, but uh, we already have the ability to be happy. It's not, ex- external things don't, cause or diminish happiness it's already within us we we have the ability to kind of choose that and and live that out and ironically i was pushing for a thing that was only going to cause more unhappiness you know i was trying to save a diseased marriage i i don't think it's bad to try to save a marriage but in this specific scenario the marriage itself was already over and so i wasn't actually at peace and i wasn't really happy until i chose to accept that reality and once, man, once I was swimming in that stream of like, this is where it is, this is what life is right now, that you're 40, 
you have kids, you're only going to see them half the time. There's going to be a child support check taken out of like once I accepted all that, I was actually okay. You know? So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Sometimes it's good to fight and sometimes it's good to sit back and just sort of let things <laughs> kind of happen as they're happening. I don't know. How do you know? Because like, let's say like there are moving, there are creatively moving pieces of art formed in the fighting for and the victory. Yep. And there are others now that you're describing on the other side. And so like, how do you know, like, let's say you're fighting for that marriage and let's say she does change her mind mm. and mm. yet you're inspired there to write about what's fought for and won. Right. And, and that spurs that creativity. <clears throat> Boy, that's a, uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm, I think the neat thing about writing in general or a- any kind of creative outlet is that it doesn't have the same rules that normal social convention does. You know, I, it's a, it's a playground and you get to play like my, my six year old is always asking me to play pretend with her. And as a 42 year old man, I find it to be the most insufferable thing to play pretend. And I don't know why it, it annoys me so much when she's like, okay, daddy, you're the king and I'm the prince. And like, I'm just like, God damn it. Please don't make me do this. Please. This is the last, like I will do anything but this right now. I will go clean all the toilets, but, and I don't know why Maybe that that's something I probably need to dig in a little deeper, but, but I do like the thing where you can play with fantasy inside of writing that, that you can, even though I was accepting or I was learning to accept the reality of, my marriage being over. It was actually healing for me. I don't know why, but it was healing for me to have fantasy elements of there, uh, in there of imagining different scenarios, you know, and the whole time I was aware, I knew that it wasn't true. You know, if I wrote a, like Angela, uh, I have a song on Angela on the mission bell record, my last record. And it's the chorus is wherever you go, I will find you that was a that was a love song and it was a love song written at a time when i knew it probably was never going to come true so in that sense it's fake ish but something helped something about being allowed to just fantasize for a moment just for the you know the 4 minutes of that song that maybe it will be okay something about that was curative it helped me let it go just sort of look at both sides of the coin and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, when is that line, you know, when do you go too far into fantasy (laughs) land? Because then, I mean, then you're talking about like legitimate mental illness, which I've struggled with too. You know, um, I I don't say that flippantly either. That's like, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And maybe we only know after the fact, you know, maybe it's only a hindsight thing. I would think, yeah, that was my first thought when you said that was probably only, only when it's all said and done for that chapter. When it's all said and done. Right. Then you get the clarity. Yeah. William, I, I'd love for you, you know, you you detailed a songwriter at 22 is different than being the songwriter at 42. And I, I wonder what resistance you faced as a 22 year old <laughs> that is still there for you now. And in what part is just in the rearview mirror? The resistance at 22 was 
that I had everything had to be cool. It had to be current. It had to be hip. It had to be relevant. This was this encom- this idea sort of encompassed everything. This would have been my aesthetic and the things I said in interviews, um, the words I wrote in the songs, even the chords I would use. And I remember, I think it was on Twitter. I feel like it was either Justin Vernon from, you know, from Bon Iver, or it was, um, forgive me, who's the wonderful lead singer of the Fleet Foxes? I can't remember his name. Uh, he's, it doesn't matter. He's fantastic though. They're bo- and, yeah, I can't think of his name. Yeah. And both, both amazing, amazing writers, but one of them like tweeted and the other responded about, about a chord. They were making fun of a chord and it's a, it's a, a, a G shape, like a normal, like cowboy chord G shape, but with the ring finger on the B string on the third fret. And it was either that or there was a C in this, you know, similar, um, similar structure. And I remember reading that and feeling like an asshole because I loved that chord. <laughs> and they were, and they were saying how lame that chord is. And like, and that's awesome. And they can like, if they want to believe that chord is lame, you know, I respect both of those guys a lot. Like I'm a fan of their music and their writing, but I, li- I stopped playing that chord for a little while because I was like, Oh crap. Well, these, I really like these guys. If they say it's not cool, I guess I can't do it anymore. So that, that sort of, that, that's a good example of how I felt in general when I first started writing that, that I needed to fit some sort of a mold of what a, a cool songwriter was. Whereas now, and it's part of it's just the result of age of of you know your kids being honest with you about you smelling in the morning or you know just having like kind of humbling more humbling experiences you know i've had more rejection than i've had success at this point artistically that's probably even the most successful people that's probably been the case for them too and now i i just don't give a shit i love that chord i love that it sounds cheesy and that it sounds um saccharine you know i that, i think that's why it's great <laughs> so you know what i could give two shits if you don't like it <laughs> it's a great chord i'm gonna play the chord was that their argument was that it was like sugary in some way yeah it was i don't remember exactly i think it, they might have like it, it is kind of a youth groupy chord <laughs> like i feel like it probably shows up in like every single praise and and there's some really good praise and worship music don't get me wrong but I feel like it shows up in like every single cheesy Christian youth group song <laughs> you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> so they, it's not that they don't have a point, you know. You're describing much more of my background than you probably know. <clears throat> oh, that's my childhood too, man. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's, and it's not about like, I don't care what anyone thinks. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not saying, I do care what people think. Like I want, I want to, part of my process is wanting to, help and entertain or whatever it is, the people that like my music. I'm not like, I don't want to be like Bob Dylan and just like offend people that are my fans. But, but finding that balance of, am I being authentic to who I'm supposed to be as an artist talking about that other self? And, and at the same time, am I respecting the people that have supported me for my entire career? Do you remember the point that you like when you said, I don't give a shit anymore. When did that happen? Oh, that's a good question, man. I probably after after the Lions record. That was my that was in 2012, I think. That would have been my maybe fourth record. And 
coming off my third record, which did really well and like had all kinds of cool stuff happening. You know, like we had like a, the video premiered on MTV and uh, songs from that, that third record were on like a bunch of TV shows and all that shit. And it's, it seemed like, you know, there were people that were kind of whispering in my ear, like, dude, this is your moment, bro. You know, this is it. Like you're, you're about to blow up, you know? And, and I, you know, I, I bought into that and not, it, I don't even think it was about like money or fame. It, it, I think it's about, I think everybody likes being recognized for doing a good job. I mean, even a, you know, a kid likes a pat on the back or a kiss on the head whenever they do a good job. I'm not, I'm not immune to that. That feels really good when somebody says, man, that, that sounds really nice. That feels good. I'm, I'm not going to throw away that completely. I, I don't want to be defined by that person's opinion, but, but it does feel good. The Lions record, it, it's not that it did bad, but it, it did not perform anywhere near what I thought it was going to do. Not even remotely close. You know, I don't even know if it got any placements on, you know, anything really meaningful at it, it, the numbers, uh, you know, I mean, music sales were down in general anyways, but, but the point being it underperformed what I thought it was going to do. And I was kind of crushed about that because I thought that record was really, really good. I'm not fishing here. And I still think it's good. But that was a moment when reality kind of smacked me in the face and it said, dude, this is not, if your metric is streams or sales or, uh, you know, how many commercials use your song or something like that, then you're doing it, you're not only doing it for the wrong reasons, but you're always going to be unhappy. And that's... I just had to, I had to fucking wake up. I had to wake up and realize I was doing it for kind of, a little bit for the wrong reasons, I guess. But you have to care about those metrics in some way, given that it's your livelihood. Well, there's another resistance piece. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing, <laughs> I'm not doing this for vanity. You know, I don't have a trust fund. I'm doing this. One of the reasons I make music is to take care of my children. I would never lie about that. I believe in my art, but make no mistake this is how I feed my kids. So those metrics, they, they do matter to a degree, but you know, I, I feel like with that record, we kind of tried, we tried to make it really palatable. You know, it, it was, it, we weren't, it wasn't a, an 80 mile per hour down the middle strike. It was still me. It was still folk music. It was still kind of dark and all that stuff. But, I did make some concessions on that that I thought would have worked. And when I saw that they didn't really work, I was like, well, forget it then. I'm just, I'm going to make exactly what I want to make and then we'll figure it out later, you know? So I, I guess I, I just, I can't worry about it. It's, it's a, it ends up being an inverse relationship. If you, if you try to make something kind of down, you know, a down the middle pitch, so to speak, that, that would be very well accepted. You're, you're probably going, even if you succeed, it probably isn't going to have a lot of heart to it unless that's where your heart is. If your heart's right down the middle, then go for it, you know, but it's just not for me, man. Like I make, fuck, I make sad music. That's, it's just what it is. And I probably always will. And I don't, you know, I don't really care. That's, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. So why would I not do that? Like, when are you going to make a happy record? I don't know. Never. 
<laughs> that's not what I do. It, like, there's plenty. Like, go listen to Jason Mraz, man. Dude's got happy songs <laughs> all over the place, bro. There's so many of them. Enjoy. And I'm not even being an asshole. When I, I'm, I'm really not. Like, Jason Mraz is really talented. He entertains a lot of people. But that's I'm not Jason Mraz, dude. I don't make happy songs. If you want that, go somewhere else and and enjoy. You know, I'll be I'll be sitting here with the people that that want what I do. I love that realization because it reminds. I mean, in our very the very first time we talked, which is forever ago, mm-hmm. it was you, you said you were coming. I think you were coming out of your first divorce or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Yep. And you had said something like you had returned to make sad songs Mm -hmm. and i and i think you'd said like i didn't want to do this again but you'd gone through something that had made you return there and you were like someday i won't i want to move past this and then to hear you now like there's just a real sense of kind of having found your space and and owning your space and it's just interesting to hear your growth is all i'm saying there's not a real question in that no 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 and i appreciate that i really do matt thank you yeah it's it's I mean, and I can't take a lot of credit for it. A lot of it was just things that happened to me. It was, it was kind of, I was uh, not that I was forced into that position, but I just can't do, I mean, it's, it's a limitation if you want to call it that even, I can't do upbeat, happy stuff. We, I mean, we try to do things like when I said the word concession, like the, the new record hasn't come out yet, but it's finished, it's mixed and everything. It has a lot more life and vigor to it than anything we've done before and my my producer adam landry that i love so much as a human and i I trust him as an artist as a producer as a as a friend you know he heard different things in the songs than i did he heard more more rhythm more tempo more aggressiveness things like that and and that's you know that's part of his job is to take what i do and and kind of flush out different emotions than what I'm, than what I'm hearing. So I, you know, I'm, I'm open to altering the the formula, so to speak. Like I don't sit down and think like, okay, now I'm going to write a William Fitzsimmons song. That's not, that's just not what I do, but it is going to be a William Fitzsimmons song when it, when it comes out, you know, I don't, I just, I don't see a lot of point in sitting down and trying to do something different for its own sake. Per, per se. I mean, I'll do different things. Like I've been, I've been practicing piano for the last two years because I want to get better at piano. I want to like this song. I wrote a lot of the songs on the, the piano and the synthesizer because I thought that'd be a neat challenge for me. I think I remember reading that, that Tom York asked all the guys in Radiohead before I think, okay, computer to learn one new instrument before they even went in the studio just as a way to stretch as a way to make sure they weren't, you know, just making the same record every year. And I love that. I think that was, that was really neat. They weren't trying to be like reinvent themselves. They were just trying to be more developed versions of who they already are. That's, that's what I'm shooting for, man. You know, and my heroes have done that too. Like like Mark Kozilek, uh from Sun Kill Moon, Red House Painters, you know, oh, big, yeah. big writing hero of mine. It doesn't have the best reputation as a human, but uh, as a songwriter, yeah, I mean, he's you—you you can't deny what he does. And I mean, I would challenge somebody to look at his catalog and say that he's writing in vastly different emotional space than he was 25 years ago. He's not. He's not. He's grown a lot as a writer. Like I think he's, you know, the last five, ten years, he's written some of his best stuff ever. But, 
but he's kind of still in that ballpark. And that's badass, man. You know, because that's that's where he is. You know, let him do it. Or someone like Sufjan that like Sufjan goes goes around the world and comes back again. You know, we we kind of thought as fans, we sort of thought that we would never hear a record like Illinois again. You know, and they did uh, what the BQE and Age of Odds and these kind of left field stuff. And then he does Carrie and Lowell. And you're like, you're like, oh shit, this is like 10, 11 songs of my favorite songs from Illinois. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, is, but I love that he didn't just make another Illinois because I think that's what a lot of people would have done. And how can you blame him? He had like a gold record that was a masterpiece. Why wouldn't you just, just do it again, bro? Just do it again, yeah. you know. But he was like, pick, an, pick another state, man. Just pick it, pick another state, uh, change change a few chords, you know. Throw the banjo in there, do the whole thing, and man, you fucking you got another gold record, bro. He was like, nah, I'm all right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to write an orchestral piece about uh, a highway in Brooklyn, <laughs> right. you know. Like I love that so much, you know. I love that. Earlier, you said, you know, you were describing resistance at 22 versus resistance today and that you don't care about anymore. Is there something today at 42 that you wished you didn't care about so much? I mean, my, the first thought that came into my head, Matt was money, but I don't know if that's actually true. I think it's actually not a bad thing that I care about. And I'm talking about like, I'm not talking about like, you know, I'm so close to buying that new boat I wanted. I'm talking about like, I'm trying to make sure living, I'm trying to make sure I can continue to take care of my kids well and pay the rent and all that stuff. You know, I have it a lot better than a lot of people. I'm not trying to be, I hope that's not offensive in any way, but, but I I like that being a consideration. I actually think that makes me have to work harder to be an honest writer because there's, you always have those moments of temptation. You know, the the that bright shiny red apple is kind of presented to you by the snake, so to speak. And it's like, oh man, dude, if you if you just said this line instead of that, like somebody could use this for a wedding song, or like, oh man, this would work really well in you know a Subaru commercial. <laughs> so, yeah, and like, I like having to wrestle with that. I think that actually makes me a better writer and. That, that's me personally. There, there are writers that, uh, like Le- LeBron James is a good example where LeBron James has all the money in the world, but I don't think that's what's actually driving him to perform. I think he's performed because he wants to be the best basketball player that's ever lived. And the money to him, I think it's, it's, it's probably great, right? It's great. It's great to not have to worry about it. But he doesn't. that doesn't seem to make him lazy at all. It seems like when he goes out there, when he trains in the gym, he works as hard as anyone ever has. So for me, maybe it's necessary. Maybe I need to be, in order to be a good writer, I need to have to wrestle with that every single line, every single chord. Am I doing this just to make money or am I doing this because it's the right thing to say? listening to the resistance if you've enjoyed this episode please rate us on itunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for more information and further episodes you can find us at listen to the engineering production and additional music by jake kirkpatrick my name is matt connor and i'm your host thanks for listening